I just want to say a word of thanks to uh, Miriam and our fantastic band. Don't they do a great job in leading us in worship? I mean, we are really, really blessed to have them. I don't know if you've heard about this, but there are three stages to life, right? Number one, when you're young, the good news is you got time and you got energy. But what do you don't have? You don't have any, any money, right? Then there's a second phase, right? Middle age. And the good news is you got some money now. You got some energy still. But the bad news is you don't have any time. The third and final stage is when you're, when you're old. And when you're old, you finally have money. And you have time, but now you have no energy. Amen? Like, I'll break it down another way, just for, for us guys here in the room. You start off believing in Santa Claus. Phase two, you don't believe in Santa Claus. Phase three, you are Santa Claus. Phase four, you look like Santa Claus. All right. thought that was funny. Yeah. It's, a, it's a live crowd here today. Live crowd. Live crowd, yes. So we're looking at... Treasures Within, we're in this series, and today's subtitle to the message is Get Kicking. So if you're at home and you're around people or if you're here in the church, just in the spirit of the talk, could you just go ahead and kick somebody beside you? Just go ahead and do that right now, real lovingly in the name of Jesus, give them a kick, okay? Uh, so, they, so they'll know what the title was and is, and they'll know with a bruise shin. All right, anyway, so we're going to jump into Joshua 14. And we're going to talk about a man named Caleb. Everybody say Caleb. All right. In verse 7, this is what it says. You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. That's the promised land. And I brought back him a report according to what I saw, my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of people melt with, what's that word? Fear. Fear. So it's, it's pretty prevalent today. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you followed the Lord my God, say the next word with me, wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord has promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous, this is an 85-year-old guy saying this, to go to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me. You have heard yourself that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified, right? But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just like you said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. 85 years old, you got to love this guy's spirit. He's like, give me the next battle. Give me the next hill country. I mean, here's a man with some fight in him because he followed God. How did he do it, church? Wholeheartedly wholeheartedly. He knew his identity as a child of the king. So I want to take you back to the year 1972, and the Olympics were held in Munich, Germany. And there was a legend, the icon, Steve Prefontaine, the Eugene, Oregon track star, was competing in his very first Olympics. He had set so many records all across the country from coast to coast 
and many of them have stood for a long time, and the world was watching with bated breath to see how he would do against the rest of the world, and the 5,000 men's final was a big race. It was a big storied match for him, and he was definitely thought for sure by our entire country that he'd be wearing gold and hearing the Star Spangled Banner and all that, but that's not how it went down. You can watch it on YouTube at a different time. That was supposed to be funny. The one fatal mistake Steve Pre made, and everybody that was American had shirts that said Pre on, on them, and was he did what we call in the track world, he kicked too soon. You see, a race is made up of basically three stages. I guess you could boil it down to a number of stages if you include like stop eating Doritos six months before you run. That's one stage, right? That was another joke. These are going really good. Can we add a laugh track low? I think we need a laugh track or something. All right. But essentially, you have three, three ingredients in a race. You have the start, you have the route, and then you have the, the kick. And start the route and the kick. And you have to start at the right pace. You've got to run the route at the right pace. And then you've got to have enough at the end, the final stage, which is the kick. The kick is where you've what? You've saved something in the tank. We have more to draw on from the muscle fibers. The kick is where you tell your, your, your nervous system, shut up. I hear you screaming. It's not going to matter. I'm just going to keep on going. And you just get your body across the tape. Life's a little bit like that. So that's what I've been trying to tell you this whole series. Live your life to the fullest. If there's any coal left to be shoveled into the fire, let's do it. We're going to kick. Now, in the Olympic race, if you watch this, Steve was leading everyone the entire time until 200 meters. But he'd used up all his energy. And when everyone else kicked into high gear, he had kicked too soon and he had no kick left. And so he crossed the finish line fourth, didn't even medal. He missed out on a medal because he kicked too soon. And I actually think that's an apt analogy for what we want to avoid spiritually in our lives. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. You see the exact opposite exhibited in this man by Caleb, who he's at a time in his life, right, 85 years old, when it's time for him to ride off into the sunset. 85 years old, it's time for grandpa to go solve a good puzzle. And yet here he comes, dragging his oxygen tank. You can almost hear it. And what does he say as he leans Yoda-like upon his cane? Point me in the direction of the fight because I've got some giants to take down. Give me my mountain, God. Renee and I, this last uh, Thursday, celebrated uh, our, our anniversary, wedding anniversary, 26 years. 26 years. Now, who, who deserves the medal, me or Renee? I'm sure somebody at home watching typed in John. Just go ahead and do that for me, please. I'll pay you later. Anyway, so we had a special date night, and yet the normal date night might be a movie and a healthy dinner of popcorn and milk duds. My dentist is not here, so I can say that. So we also went on a little bike ride because we, we, we're into to, to bikes. I'm, I don't know. I just love riding bikes. And I've been um, buying these $60 bikes at Academy and then taking them to the bike store and souping them up. Give me the alloy pedals, a nice seat the new chain, and, and the guy's like, you know, you've actually put more parts uh, that cost more money than the actual bike. I said, yeah, I know, that's the way I like it. Anyhow, so we were riding bikes, and we rode bikes together, and then we went to uh, a restaurant, that, one of the few that's still open uh, on the border, and uh, we're sitting there eating uh, my favorite thing, chips and queso, and uh, 
Somehow, Renee said to me in the conversation, how long do you think you're going to live? As I dipped a big chip into the queso. <laughs> and I said, I don't know why you're asking me. What, what was she thinking? I was a little nervous to make sure she ate the food before I did after she asked me that. And I said, I don't know. Let's Google it. So we, we get on the phone, and it turns out... Uh, uh, for the ladies, uh, according to Google, you're going to live 81 years, and according to men, it's 76. The average is 78.7. So I don't know what you ladies are doing to live longer than us. Maybe it's all the facial lotions or something like that, but you guys get an extra five years. Yeah, good job. And so there we were, we sat back, and both of us were kind of doing the math in our heads. Have you ever, you know, experienced that? And Renee's a little bit older than me. She looks younger, but she's actually older. And uh, so I had that working for me, but it's only two years. And so I said to her, what are you going to do with those extra three years, baby doll? What are you going to do when I'm not around for those three years? And then we started doing the math and all of our friends, and we're like, dang, some of them are really old. Some of them are like one foot in the grave. Some of them got like five or six years left. Isn't this a great message? I can tell you're really enjoying it. But then we both acknowledge that rule of thumb, you know, 81 and 76. But the truth is, uh, none of us are, are guaranteed more than our next breath. Amen? Can't control our next heartbeat. And the brevity of life sets in. And the best case scenario for me is I got two and a half decades left on this earth. What is life, man? It is wicked fast. And we want to make the most of our time. We want to redeem our time. I would dare say that none of us want to waste our lives. Amen? I thought about this week when I watched Disney movies. I've been downloading Disney movies on my iPad. Anybody who like Disney movies, say amen. And I like the old school ones like Pocahontas, like where the, the wolf cries to the blue corn moon. And I like to see that little raccoon try to wash his hands in the, in the waterfall. I love the Magic Kingdom. I mean, you have to respect anybody who rolls up out of Calif uh, into California from Kansas City with 40 bucks and conquers the world because that's what Mr. Walt did. And once he got out of his apartment, and remember, he had a little pet rat in his apartment named Mortimer, Moore remember? And then he changed the name to Mickey. And once he did that, that little tweak, uh, Disney really took off. And it might be a tiny tweak that leads you to a big peak of destiny in your life. Somebody say amen. And the very first feature film that Walt did was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And Walt barely got this thing financed. It was $1.5 million. They bootstrapped it. I mean, they barely got it to the finish line. They got this thing done, paying their bills. Now, of course, we live in a day of computers and, and different things and different technology. So it's difficult to think about when they made Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, it was actually drawn by hand. And every picture in the film was drawn by hand and then painted by hand. Ain't nobody got time for that today. But they got it done. And people believed, if you look back at that time, people thought it would flop. People thought it was not going to be a success. And the original release, it did $8 million. And for a few years, it was the highest grossing film uh, until Gone with the Wind came out, a now controversial film. When the Academy of Motion Pictures recognized this, they didn't just give the normal gold statue to Walt, they gave him one large statue and seven small ones. <laughs> but what's particularly interesting to me, if you look at what Walt did, because he was an older guy, what he did was when the proof of concept was there and it was great and he had made it and he was successful, what did he do? He took all of his chips from his previous success and he didn't say, I'm going to just retire. I'm going to rest on my laurels. He pushed them all to the center of the table. 
And he said, I'm going to keep pushing all my chips to the center of the table. And let's make the next one. And let's make Bambi. And then let's push the borders and let's make Fantasia. And, and now from this, he didn't rest on his laurels. He didn't celebrate and say, cash in and I'm going to go retire. Because I found in life, if you don't reinvest your miracles, you will reach the end of them. That was supposed to be profound. Somebody say Profound. It's interesting that we as a nation are living longer. We're living longer and longer, believe it or not, despite the news, despite the press, and yet we are retiring younger and younger. Did you know that 120 years ago, in the year 1900, the average age a person retired from work in this country was the age of 74? According to the United States Census Bureau, the average age for retirement today in America is not 65. That's what we think it is. It is actually 63. We're living longer and longer and we're retiring younger and younger. But according to TD Ameritrade in a survey done amongst the millennials, that's not young enough. 63, that's what the average, that's not young enough. According to millennials, when asked on, on average, when do you want to retire? When do you want to cash out your chips? The consensus is 56 years of age. They think when I'm ready to be done with my job by 56, which of course begs the question, once you're 56 and you cash in all your chips, then what? Then what? Then what? Somebody say, then what? Because you're already, I mean, let's face it, millennials, you're already wanting to freelance, right? And you're kind of wanting to stand at your stand-up desk, and you're wanting to be able to sit on your yoga ball while you work. And, and, you know, if there's not gummy bears and your mom can't come to the interview, you know, you're not down with it. I'm teasing a little bit. At 56, I'm retired. But since you're going to be living so much longer than previous generations, I mean, there was a time in our country when the average life expectancy for a newborn baby was 50, 50 years old at one time. But now we got 78.7. But out of that 78.7, I don't want to be working more than 56. Now, would you like it to be 73 or 74 degrees in your perfect world, millennials? But this is our culture. This is where we're at. Why? listen to me carefully. We're living in a culture where it wants you to kick too soon and settle too far, too little for a reward. See, we're all into retirement instead of doing God's work. Let me tell you something. It's actually a false finish line. And the reward is not a true reward that you're actually hoping that it would be. And that's what we need to have our eyes open to. If we lived as Jesus followers in the midst of the world, we have to see the gods that people are worshiping in our culture today. Now, they wouldn't call it that. They wouldn't use that language, but it's a god. The ultimate expression of retirement is, I don't have to go to work. I don't have to be somewhere when someone says I have to be. I don't have to do things I don't want to do. That's what we want, right? Emancipation, autonomy, freedom. I want to be the boss of me. We want to be the master of our fate, captain of our soul, and go where we want to go, and sing where we want to sing, and wear flip-flops, and travel around in our, our RVs in the national parks. Well, some of you are like, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> but that's the God of our generation, I think, early retirement. Somebody say amen. amen. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. 
this idol that we are as a culture worshiping and we're being fed and there's a massive marketing machine built up billions of dollars and implications to sell us this, that, that sell us basically that work is a terrible thing. And if you could just retire, life would be better. And you'd be able to live your dream and do whatever you want. But I'm here to tell you that's a counterfeit Eden. It's a false finish line and it cannot deliver the reward you're hoping it would. So let me give you the sermon in a sentence. Are you ready? Somebody say amen. amen. When you stop taking new ground, you go in it. Let me say that again. When you stop taking new ground, you're going to go in it. Death is the only reward for not taking the new ground that God wants you to take. That we see exhibited here in Caleb where there's this pioneering spirit. Caleb at 85 years old, there's no thought of if I could just retire, if I could just stop doing what everyone tells me to do. Here he is at 85, he reports back to God, he reports back to his commanding officer, Joshua, and he's like, aye, aye, sir, reporting for duty. Where's the next mountain? A little bit of context might help you. Some of you may not know the story. Joshua and Caleb, it's almost like a Disney movie. Flashback, when they were young, they were both young men serving under Moses, the great man of God, and they were part of a 12-man contingency. They sent 12 spies into the promised land. Why was it called the promised land? Because that's the, the land God promised them. It's really simple. And they were supposed to scope it all out. The land that they could go into now that they were free of Egypt. And it would be the land ultimately where, where Jesus would, would die and rise and ascend to heaven so that they could be a blessing to every people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation forever. So when they were told, hey, send those 12 spies in, and Caleb was one of them, go see what the fortifications are, go see what the city is like, and bring us back some fruit. So they all come back. Joshua and Caleb are two of them. They give a good report. They say, it's amazing. It's better, Moses. Moses, you don't even know how great it is. It, it, you said, God, God said it would be a land flowing with milk and honey. This, they're like, this place is Willy Wonka on steroids. There's the Oompa Loompas. There's a river of chocolate. Literally like, what are you talking about? And Joshua and Kay were like, hey, let's go take it. God promised it. Let's go. And they're 40 years old and they're ready to take on the world. Now, to be clear, there were enormous giants living there, and Jericho was a walled city, but Joshua and Caleb weren't fazed by that. The other 10 spies, though, they were living in fear. Oh, we, we shouldn't do this. There's, it's going to be a lot of work. In fact, let's just go back to being slaves in Egypt. And Joshua and Caleb were like, are you kidding me? Does anybody remember the power of God? He split the Red Sea. He brought out the plagues. He drowned horse and rider in the sea, fed us with bread, dropped down quail. We got water from a rock. Are you talking about the same God here? Somebody get excited. What's a giant when there's a God that we worship? So question, do you look at obstacles or do you see them as an opportunity to trust God? And so there's 10 guys, 10 spies, and they're like, Oh, we're so afraid our hearts melt before them in fear. And Joshua and Caleb are saying, God's going to make their hearts melt before us. Well, the people, as you might have known, 
You know the story. They sided with who? Did they side with Joshua and Caleb or the 10? Which one, church? The 10. I was hoping for more of you to know that story. (laughs) Anyhow, they rejected the testimony of Joshua and Caleb. And they actually said, let's kill Moses and let's go back to Egypt. And Joshua and Caleb objected. And they said, we're going to kill you too. And God intervened and God spoke up and said, okay, you don't want to go in? None of you will go in. You're going to march around in exile until all of you, this whole generation, will die in the desert. And I won't make you go in the promised land. You don't have to go. Just march around until you die. So they did that. But they said, God, what about our kids? God said, you'll all die, but your kids won't. I'll bring your kids in. And the only adults that are going to be able to go in with you are Joshua and Caleb. And an entire generation perished. They didn't live in God's promised land. They didn't follow God's plan. They just gave up. Now, Joshua and Caleb are old men themselves, and they alone get to lead this nation successfully into the country. And it wasn't easy. There was campaign after campaign, and there was fighting going on. And here's 85-year-old Caleb, and he's fought all these battles. And every right in the world tells him, just build a nice little house and drink some warm milk. You know, put your teeth in a glass at night. Caleb's like, I feel as strong as I ever have. I'm ready to trust God for another fight. He kept taking new ground. That's how he was forever young, I'm telling you, because he kept taking new ground. They weren't putting that boy in the ground because he had something to live for. He had fight in his spirit. And he that is always being born has no time to die. Have you ever known anybody that just gave up on life? Maybe they lost a loved one. They feel like there's no purpose. They're warehousing somewhere, and they just feel like, that's it. I remember I had a lady in my church named Betty Ann, and she was married to her husband 67 years, and he died on Sunday. And I'll never forget it. She got pneumonia on Tuesday. And I went to the hospital to pray with her. She said, she said don't pray for me to live. I'm ready to die. And the doctor came in, wheel in the antibox, get that away from me. Pray for me to die, pastor. It was one of the most awkward prayers I've ever prayed. She'd given up. She was dead the next morning. Every day for Caleb was a new day of birth for him. Every day was a new day to trust God again and again. This guy had more fight in him than guys that were 20 years, half his age. 85 years young. I've been trusting God all these years. Give me the mount. Point me in the direction of where the battle is. I'll go. I'm going to gum him to death. Well, I tell you what, the jokes here today are just going swell. If I built my ego based upon how well my jokes went, I, I'd need counseling immediately. <laughs> right after the message, please, if you know of a good counselor. <laughs> so Caleb had a kick when it counted because Caleb knew where the real finish line was. And the problem with being fooled by a false finish line and craving a counterfeit Eden is you might just get what you hope for instead of deep down what you were born for. When you don't have a purpose to live for, there's not a purpose to living. A life without meaning, a life without purpose is a life without life. Life. 
There's a book. My kids gave it to me. I love this. I love the fact that my kids gave me this book. And it's a great book. You ought to read it. It's called The 12 Rules for Life. And it's by Jordan Peterson, who's a psychologist. And he's, he's kind of controversial, but he's, it's, it's an amazing book. And it's a biblical book. And they even said, Dad, you'll love it. It's got all kinds of biblical references. <laughs> but they read this book, and it's a great book. And he talks about retirement. And he talks about the idolization of retirement in our culture. And he said this quote in the book, one 40-year-old client told me his vision formulated by his younger self, of course, perpetuated by the marketing machine. Quote, I see myself retired, sitting on a tropical beach, drinking margaritas in the sunshine. That's his plan. That's not a plan. That's a travel poster. After eight margaritas, what do you have? A hangover. After three weeks of margarita-filled days, what do you have besides a bad song by Jimmy Buffett? <laughs> you're bored stiff and, and self-disgusted. In a year or less of drinking margaritas, you're pathetic. Is that sustainable to life? Is that why God put you on earth? That's not a purpose. See, not doing something <laughs> is not doing something. What are you going to do when you don't work? Oh, whatever I want, it's going to be great. When you get to your final years. And listen, I'm preaching this as someone who I believe, look, I'm already, like people say, you're middle-aged. No, I'm not. I'm 50. Middle age was 35. Remember the Google chart? Remember? 76. So I got to be doubling down. This is my time right now to be asking God, God, where's the next mountain? What are you doing? Oh, no, it's just travel and wine and fishing. It's grand. We're sauntering down the home stretch in our RV with our wine collection and our fishing boat. And our days are filled with beaches and margaritas. But that's a counterfeit Eden. Tafoski said, the mystery of human existence lies not just in staying alive, but in finding something to live for. Here's what God knows that you need to know. Your fastest pace should be at the end of the race. Your fastest pace should be at the end of the race because by then you've accumulated all the wisdom, all the strength, all the pain you've gone through, all the trials you've walked through, all the friendships, all the scars. You know where the landmines are, so you should really be hustling right now. You should be hitting your stride. Come on, let's be a Caleb. Let's be a Caleb generation. Let's go live in the hill country. Let's go fight some giants. Let's go take on some new land. Let's go reach some people for Jesus Christ. Somebody get excited. God knows that when we're not moving forward, we start getting in trouble. When we're not moving forward, we start getting in trouble. I mean, ask Noah. Just look at the biblical story of Noah. Noah Needed a cause. Noah got a cause. Build a big ark. He had passion. And listen, this is not an anti-retirement message. The message is to actually live in the will of God. And I don't believe the word retirement is anywhere in Scripture. And if God calls us to retire, we don't stop working. We need a theology of work. We need to understand that God never built us to work for the weekend. Remember that song by Loverboy? Everybody's working for the weekend. Great song, right? But bad theology, folks. We buy the lie from the devil. Oh, Monday's horrible. Oh, and if I get to Wednesday, that's hump day. Oh, my gosh. And finally, TGIF. Oh, thank God it's Friday. 
Let's believe God for a vibrant Monday. Let's trust him for a sanctified Thursday and miracles on Tuesday. Noah, I brought him up so I should finish. Noah had this amazing cause, right? Epic quest, this God-given thing. As long as there was mission, something bigger than himself, the guy was unstoppable. Doesn't care about the haters, people laughing at him as he builds the boat. And he, he, they weren't laughing when it started raining, right? Getting animals from every nook and cranny of earth. What about the dinosaurs? Way to go, Noah. You forgot them, right? Like every Christian joke. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> But the guy, thank you, Donald. But the guy's on fire until he doesn't have a cause. Now, maybe God would have given him one if he'd asked for it, but apparently Noah just took it upon himself during some of the lonely days on the ark to plan out his retirement, which was, I'm going to put a wine vineyard over here and a little vineyard over here and a little vineyard over there. And just read Genesis. You'll see it didn't go well for Noah after the ark thing. It did not go well for Noah because he ended up drunk, drunk and naked at the same time. Not a good look on anybody. His son found him drunk and naked. It's embarrassing. Well, here we are. Why? Because a hobby in your week is fantastic. But when your entire day, every day is nothing but hobby, that's a train wreck. Because actually we were meant to work. We were meant to make a difference. We were built to work. And whether God calls you to retire from a career or not retire from a career is actually irrelevant. You were created to work. You've got to have a proper theology of work. So I'm going to call this fire, F-I-R-E. That's what we're going to spell. Somebody say fire. fire. First, F stands for it's fulfilling. Work is fulfilling. And that's why it's part of the original order. Before sin entered order, if you read the order, if you read Genesis... The Bible begins with work. In the beginning, God created. Five words into the Bible, and God is working. God is creating. It was there before sin. Adam and Eve were tending the garden. God would show up at the end of the day, and they would talk about the day behind him and the day before him. What did you do today, Adam? And Adam's like, I named the rhinoceros. Good job. They were working and God modeled it, of course, by taking the seventh day off. And after six days of work, he rested from their labors. But if your whole life is just a holiday, you don't have a holiday. If your whole life's a vacation, there is no vacation. So we work and we rest from our work and we trust God and we honor God to recharge our batteries. We're spelling fire. We already did F. Now what's I stands for? I stands for identity. And you need to really hear me on this because identity is who we are. And listen to me. Your work should not be your identity. It should be because of your identity. Think about that. Do you do what you do in life because of who you already are? That's why we have midlife crisis. That's why we have post-retirement depression. That's why when so many people lose a job, they tank their morale, and many take their lives as well because they got their identity wrapped up in what they were doing. And that was never meant to be. Who you are was never meant to be about what you do. Your identity should be this. You're a servant of God. And what flows out of that? Well, you do what a servant does. That is whatever the master tells you to do. So if we're doing this here, if I'm doing that, if I'm in this career, and if it's time to hang that up, the only time you should step away from a career, though, is because God's telling you to step forward in your calling that he has on your life.
Somebody say amen. The mentality is we're going to continue to work and we're going to continue to serve God. And we're going to do whatever he's called us to do all the way to the end because our identity is servants. And servants serve. USA Today had an article on Monday this last week that if you physically and vocationally sit around all day, it leads to things like cancer and early death. Because when you quit taking new ground, they put you in it. So we're going to do what God's called us to do. We're going to, we're going to move forward because we're not going to just sit around and not take new ground. Because when that happens, what happens, church? You go in it. So we're going to continue to advance. R stands for reward. The reward awaits us and motivates us. So a runner knows, a runner knows there's going to be a medal. We should run knowing there's going to be an award ceremony because there will. There's actually in Scripture it says, look, you get to heaven based upon what Jesus did, right? It's not works. It's just faith. But how you're rewarded in heaven is actually connected to how you serve God here on earth. You may not have been aware of that. And you've been given gifts and you've been given abilities. And Jesus told a parable about three people that were given different gifts. One person was given five sets of gold, two sets of gold, and one set of gold. One guy buries it in the ground. And Jesus says, that's a waste. Don't waste your talents and bury them in the ground. And Jesus is going to say, we will, 11 times, it says, you'll give an accounting for your life. So Jesus is going to say to you, hey, what would you do with the gifts I gave you? And you're like, well, I played a lot of golf. And that's great, you know, if you're a professional golfer. That's a different sermon. That was supposed to be funny. I tell you the jokes. Where's my counselor? I need help. E stands for eternity. Here's the deal. Eternity is already in session. You're already a part of eternity. It's happening right now. People think eternity what happens when I die. No, it's right now. We're a part of it. So let me encourage you. When you show up at work tomorrow, in whatever capacity, if you're a nutritionist, if you're a physical fitness trainer, or if you're working at a software company, or you're crunching code all day, or, or whatever you're doing, I dare you to show up tomorrow and say, God, I'm reporting for duty. Show me the next mountain. Show me the next hill. Say it to your boss. They will fall. She will fall out of her chair when you say, reporting for duty. How can I serve you today? Just try that tomorrow and tell me what the reaction is. Because we pray it, right? We pray, Lord, give me this day our, what, our daily bread. Well, you're praying someone's got a passion for baking, you're praying someone opens a grocery store. You're praying someone feels a purpose in driving a truck to deliver those groceries. You're praying for shipping and receiving and agriculture and water and all those things involved in giving us some bread. Vocation is honorable. It's powerful. It's, it's a calling of God in your life. But it's also a mentality that says, if I don't feel specifically called to retire from this career, if I can stay in it and create wealth for the kingdom, that's an assignment too. In other words, some people keep on working and they give whatever they can give. Some people give sacrificially in this church to make the ministry happen, especially during these times of COVID-19. We have people in this church 
who are in retirement who give sacrificially. Not just money, but also time and talents and energy. And their attitude is, give me the next hill. I think of Ruby Vargo who's sitting over here. I think of Roger Schrader. I think of Walter Brothers. I think of Tim Parr. I think of Michelle Slaughter. I think of Buzz and Jan Sawyer who are at home watching right now. Retired people who are like, hey, where's the next hill? The word retirement is not in the Bible. God's work is not done because you're 78 or 98 or 88 or 28. There's a 98-year-old there's a woman I know. Her name is Esther. She lives in New Braunfels. She writes me a letter once a month just to encourage me. She's like, it's all I can do. And after this sermon, I need it. <laughs> Esther, if you're watching, send a letter ASAP. She's 98. She makes the best peanut brittle I've ever had in my life. So a letter and peanut brittle, Esther. I'm in need. Now, why did I choose FIRE as my acronym for spelling out this? Well, you may know, you may not know. It's actually one of the big schools of thought in the early retirement world. They call it FIRE. And it's this movement to get people to see if they can retire by the age of 30. Because 74 was too old, and 65 was too old, and 63 is way too old. So there's actually among millennials, the, the 56 are saying, well, you know what? We can retire younger than 56, so let's retire by 30. All you have to do is have a million dollars by the time you're 30. And there's websites. You can check this out, and you go on Reddit, and there's all these, these forums, and they'll talk about FIRE where it stands for financial independence, retire early. And the goal is 30, to say goodbye to your career. Then what? Do whatever you want. I guess it's eight margarita time. That's why, that's why God put you on this earth. New York Times did an article on one man who did exactly this. He was a pharmacist. He made 150000 a year. That was his salary. And he managed and used some of these techniques that many people are adhering to with fire all over the dark corners of Reddit, giving each other tips and tricks on how to get there faster, saving your money, not being generous, being greedy. Get your millions so you can cash out, so you can be your own boss and blow like tumbleweed wherever you want. And the New York Times did a story on how to be 30 and a millionaire and they asked this particular gentleman in the story who at the age of 38 is retired and doing whatever he wants because of how terrible the pharmaceutical industry was. And he didn't like being a pharmacist because drugs are evil and people are evil and everything was terrible and his boss was evil and every single minute of what he did was horrible. You know, helping people. And so the newspaper article, a reporter said, what are you doing now? And for a couple paragraphs, he talked about Rubik's cubes and getting this marathon time down to a sub three hour time. And there's some great stuff in there, some good hobbies. Like he's taking up cooking and he's ironing and he's doing some trips. He was on some beaches in Florida and they said, okay, break it down. What did you do today? And I'm going to read you what he said, 38 year old man. And I'm going to read it with a heart that's broken. He said, today I woke up on my own. 
I didn't have an alarm clock telling me I had a responsibility. Then I read the news online for 30 minutes, went on a seven-mile run. I took a nap, but then I lied there watching this ceiling fan spin around for a while. And then he said, I'm watching movies from a website that ranks the best thousand movies ever made. And he's taking a lot of time to watch all of them. He's watched 600 of them so far, and he still has a lot of work to do. He said, and I finished with this end quote, my life is so much better than it was before. I just hope everyone can find this sort of peace. And I hope and I pray this man does find peace. Can you imagine him standing before God? And God says, you were given this life. I gave you the beat of your heart. I gave you breath. And you messed up and you sinned. And I gave you Jesus. And Jesus, out of love for you, climbed up on the cross for you and died for you so that you would have forgiveness and abundant life and eternal life. And what did you do with it? And he says, I can do a Rubik's Cube with my eyes closed. I watched a thousand films, God. Thanks for dying on the cross for me. That's a tragedy. Average is okay unless you're destined for greatness. And then average becomes a colossal tragedy. And I don't think God spent time, you know, Psalm 139 says, God made you and formed you and fashioned you in your mother's womb. And God made you with certain gifts and talents, not so that you could watch a thousand movies and do a Rubik's Cube and drink eight margaritas a day. The world needs Christians today. Not retiring Christians, but we have a lot of hills and mountains out there. Just watch the news for 10 minutes. We have one life and it's racing by and I'm eating chips and queso. It's getting even shorter. And the finish line will be here before you know it. And only what's done for Jesus will last. May we have the heart to follow the Lord wholeheartedly like Caleb. Let's pray. God of grace, I hope and I pray that each of us will recognize that we were given this life. And we're only given one time to go around. And life is short and it's wicked fast. And we got to make a difference right here, right now. And when we're older and when we're middle-aged, now's the time for us to be kicking, not to be resting, not to be storing up for our retirement, but to be refired for you, God, to, to make a difference for you, to make your good news and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, we live in a culture that has different gods. And it's the God of eight margaritas. It's the God of early retirement. It's the God of taking care of yourself. It's the God of blowing around like a tumbleweed. But that's not why you came. That's not why you formed us and made us and fashioned us for all these different purposes. So, God, help us to see and help us to live for you. Because if a 98-year-old can live to send a letter a month, to encourage and to give sacrificially for a ministry. What can we do? I think of all the people, Lord, in this church. Some are retired, some are not, who are saying, give me the next hill, Lord. And help us to realize, God, that if we don't continue to take new ground, they'll put us in it. 
So give us that Caleb-like spirit. There are so many, so many mountains out there. There's the mountain of racism. There's the mountain of health that our country is just battling right now. There's a mountain of fear. There's a pandemic of fear. So Father, give us the strength. There's a mountain of lovelessness. There's a mountain of greed. There's a mountain of look out for number one. And that's not why you came, Jesus. So give us the strength. Give us the, the wisdom and ability to show the world the way and why we're here, that we have purpose in you and through you. We pray this in the name of Christ, the one who taught us as he said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as heaven. Give us this day our day of bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.